Okay, so if you have your Bibles, please keep turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And what we've been talking about uh, on Sunday mornings this quarter has been uh, basically uh, what we should do as new Christians and how we live as new Christians and teaching new Christians. Okay, and that follows uh, Jay's class that he did on discipleship uh, last quarter. And so we're building on that. And last week what we talked about, what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks is is my responsibility as a Christian, as a new Christian especially, uh, for our younger Christians. And so, as we looked last week, we started looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And Paul has this analogy that he uses here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and then later this morning we'll talk about Romans chapter 12. Uh, but he's talking about, in the context, uh, some problems they were having at Corinth. Part of the problems they were having at Corinth uh, appears to be that some people, some people were jealous uh, of those that had the ability to speak in tongues, to speak in languages they had not studied. That, that would really come in handy today to be able to do that, just miraculously be able to speak Spanish uh, or some other language. Uh, but there is some confusion maybe, some, some jealousy over that. And in the midst of that context, Paul talks about the gifts that we have as Christians. And that's how we were looking at this text last week. So uh, I want to point some things out. We'll start out again chapter 12. Uh, and um, I'm in 2 Corinthians. I want to be in 1 Corinthians. Uh, I want to uh, just point out some things as we, as we get started. So let's look in chapter 12 and verse 4. Paul says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of ministries in the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So if we pause there for just a second, what is Paul saying? What is the purpose that God has given different ones gifts? Look in verse 7. What is his purpose? For the common good. Exactly. Uh, they were to serve a purpose. Uh, now, in the first century, obviously, they didn't have the written text. They were working on it. Obviously, I mean, those were the letters that the apostles were writing to people. Uh, but they didn't have it put all together like we have it today. It was still an ongoing thing. You had teachings of the apostles why they were why they were living, and people could learn from those individuals directly. Okay, look at verse 11. Can somebody read verse 11 for me, please? Okay. So... Uh, what does that tell us about how God chose to give people different gifts? Individually, based on his desire, right? Okay, so in the context of 1 Corinthians uh, 12 through 14, you know, you have people, they're jealous. God gave us the ability to speak all these languages, okay? And I could be jealous of that. 
uh, there at Corinth, and I could say, you know, I can't believe it. Ozzy has these abilities, and, and it was creating conflict. And and Paul, them, look, the Holy Spirit has given people these gifts for the purpose of helping the church grow, uh, for the purpose of the common good. I, I interrupted myself just a, just a second ago uh, in, in saying, you know, they didn't have the New Testament as we have it today. The gifts serve the purpose of ratifying, of saying, you know, that what this person is teaching is coming from God. They're able to do miracles. Uh, you know, that you didn't have Twitter or Facebook or online things and that sort of thing. And so miracles, you know, allowed people to be able to see the power of God and, and to have a reason to come and, you know, uh, see what you were teaching and that sort of thing. There are a number of purposes. But it says all these things were given for the common good, for the purpose of the growing of the, of, of the church, we might say, as we look at all of chapters 12 through 14. But then Paul says the Spirit gave these gifts as, as, as he wills, as, as he desires. And just to take a little sidestep for just a moment, you know, there are folks today who say, uh, you know, you're only truly a Christian. You've been baptized in the Holy Spirit only if you have the ability to speak in tongues. Okay, so there are there's a large church organization that that's what they teach. If you've truly been baptized by the Holy Spirit, you'll be able to speak in tongues. And one of the things that to me is telling about this passage is even in the first century. When the apostles were still alive and people had those miraculous gifts plainly in Scripture, even then, not everyone spoke in tongues. Because that's what all of chapters 12, 13, and 14 is all about. And so it is a misreading of the New Testament to, to draw that conclusion and to make that a test of faith or make that a test and say, you're truly a Christian if you can speak in tongues. I mean, you can imagine people feeling the pressure to be able to speak in tongues and, and, and that sort of thing. You know, Zolly's a good guy. He's not really a Christian because, you know, he's never been able to speak in tongues. Um, that's really where you go with that, okay? And so as just kind of a side note, even in the first century, that wasn't the case. But you see, God has a desire for all of us to serve. And as we look at chapters 12 and 13 and 14, as we look at Romans chapter 12, uh, it's clear sometimes these spiritual gifts are miraculous things, the ability to speak in tongues, ability to prophesy, ability to heal, uh, those sorts of things. But then in Romans chapter 12, some of you that have known me for a while, you know, hear me point out, uh, it's either New American Standard or the NIV says the gift of administrations, you know, paperwork. Thank you for making that my gift, the ability to do, you know, I'm not sure that that's exactly the same type of administration he has in mind, but not everything is, was a miraculous ability, as we understand it. But he gave abilities to different ones. Now, how does that impact the work of the church? To realize that God gave different talents to different people? How does that impact the work of the church? It makes everything go smoothly. And what do you mean by that, Ozzy? Yeah, absolutely. And, if, and as we saw last week from Ephesians chapter 4, if everyone is doing, exercising those abilities, 
then the church is healthy. The church is doing what it needs to be doing, right? Okay, so everything is going smoothly. What else? Absolutely. You can get other people in, involved. Okay, so you're not just depending on one or two people, but everyone can be involved as they use their gifts. Okay, good. What else? If Abby is serving and she's working and she has a particular gift, a particular talent, I don't have to worry about if I have that talent or not. I can be grateful and happy that Abby's working and using her talent. And I, and I don't have to have conflict about that. I don't have to be upset about that. I don't have to be jealous about that. That's exactly what Paul's saying in these chapters. I can be content to know, hey, Abby's working. She's doing her thing. She's got that thing covered. You know, that's why Jay leads song, leads singing on Sunday mornings. Because I can do it. You know, I can get up and wave my arms. Uh, you know, I can start the song, but everyone in my family tells me I can't sing. <laughs> and when I edit the sermons, when I, before I post them on the Internet, because there's always the lag at the end where you can hear yourself singing, where you can hear the singing, I can tell, no, they're right, I can't sing. <laughs> because the microphone's right here, so I can hear myself very well, okay? Uh, so it's a good thing. I don't have to, if Jay's leading singing, I don't have to worry about it. Okay? If Zolly's doing the Lord's Supper, I don't have to worry about it. And I can be happy and grateful. I don't have to be jealous of Jay and say, you know, I wish I could lead singing like Jay. I wish I had the voice that Jay had. I can just be happy and content. Let him do his thing, and I can go serve in another way. Yeah, absolutely. It makes us stronger. Now, there's another side, another couple of sides to this. What do, you, what do you mean? Let me explore that first. What do you mean by it makes us stronger? Because it builds a solid foundation. That's mm -hmm. the way I can say it. Yeah. It's, we know we can depend on you. We can, you're open and free to do other things mm. as a body. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. You guys have heard me use the, that's a great example. You know, you guys have heard me use the example. I think I used it two, three weeks ago about the church up in Arkansas and Little Rock, I think it's called Pleasant Ridge Church of Christ, where they have lots of doctors, lots of nurses. They're well known for doing medical missions. There are some churches, if you have that ability, you have that talent in your church, you can do that. But if we're a church that doesn't have any of that, we don't need to worry about it. We don't need to be jealous. Oh, I wish we could be like Pleasant Ridge that is able to do medical missions every, every three months. Don't have to worry about that. Use your talents as, as God, has, God has given Okay, now, a couple other uh, flip sides to that. One is, if Zolly's a new Christian, right, uh, as a person that's been a Christian for a while, I still have an obligation to help Zolly grow, okay? And so, you know, there's lots of things in the church that, frankly, you know, anybody could do, okay? Any man can stand up and hand out pass trays, okay? Uh, any man can, can say everything, okay? Uh, I even believe any man can stand up and read Scripture, you know, assuming he has the ability to read. You know, there are people that, that can't read. You know, that's, that you don't want to embarrass anybody, but 
You know, there are little things like that that don't take a lot of energy, a lot of talent. Uh, no offense, Sally. Uh, but that, that anyone can do. Uh, and as an existing Christian, if I feel like I do those things very well, sometimes I need to step back and let someone else new do it so they can develop that talent. It doesn't necessarily have to be the best person all the time or the, the, you know, the most talented because we need to continue to allow people to grow and mentor and develop those gifts. Now, the other side of that coin is when I was at Freed Hardman, it uh, seems like just a couple years ago, but it's been a long time now. It's sad to say. <laughs> when I was at Freed Hardman, I was in Preacher's Club and Evangelism Forum and they had several different clubs. And... Uh, you guys are laughing at me like I'm a little geeky guy. <laughs> the cool thing at Freed Hardman is, Tim really loves this, at Freed Hardman, David had Preacher's Wives Club, <laughs> which was really cool because it was all single women that wanted to marry preachers, right? Anyway, <laughs> uh, Tim really just gets a kick out of that. But anyway, because he, never mind, we, you know. But, yeah, <laughs> that's right, it works. She does now, okay, but anyway, uh, so, you know, so we had our little nerdy people, right, okay, but sometimes what they would do at the end of the year is they would always have the senior guys, and they had to do a sermon in preacher's club, right, and it was unfortunate because sometimes you would hear somebody and you would think, oh, man, I hope somebody tells him he should not be a preacher, <laughs> you know, because he just, the person just didn't have the ability or talent to put together a sermon and deliver it effectively. Now, I know as we look at Corinthians and we look at what Paul says, it's not about who's the most dynamic or who's, you know, but there are some folks that you know life is going to be hard for them because they just don't have that talent. And it's great that people have a passion, but sometimes we need to find the areas that we can work in and do those well and not worry about the fact that we don't have that that particular talent when we look for instance as we look over at first uh, peter chapter three a passage we looked at last sunday in our sermon first peter chapter three okay jay can i get you to read first peter chapter three verses 13 through uh, 16 please And so here's one of the dilemmas we sometimes have in the church. We want everyone to feel evangelistic. We want everyone to be talking about God. And I do think that there are, um, there's a fine line between being an evangelist. So last week we looked, for instance, in Ephesians chapter 4. And Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, God gave some to be apostles and some to be evangelists, and, uh, uh, excuse me, 
some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. And so he makes it very clear that he gave some, not all. And so not everyone needs to feel compelled to be an evangelist, one who goes and proclaims the gospel. But we all, based on what Paul Peter says in 1 Peter, have an obligation to be able to tell someone, this is why I believe in God. All of us ought to be able to tell people uh, why we have the faith we have and to tell our story, so to speak. And I think we've dropped that. Sometimes we beat people up. Zolly, how many Bible studies have you had this year? Okay. Uh, and Zali gives his answer. Well, you must do more, right? Okay, so sometimes we can beat people up. But sometimes we also use that as an excuse that not everyone's an evangelist, to not do anything. There needs to be a happy medium where we're excited about our faith, we're excited to invite people to Bible study, we're invited to, excited to invite people to church. Okay? And so Peter clear obligation. You go over to Acts chapter 8. As the church is being persecuted, it just says uh, everyone scattered except the apostles. And then a few verses later, I think in verse 8, chapter 8, verse 8, it says, as they went, they proclaimed the gospel. So as people left, as they scattered out of Jerusalem because of the persecution of, of, of Christians in Jerusalem after the death of Stephen, as they went and they scattered, they were talking about their faith. They were talking about the gospel. And the church exploded because people were talking about Jesus. People were talking about the gospel. Okay? Do we have any questions or comments up to this point? Okay? We all need to be serving. And we don't necessarily need to serve in the same way, but we need to find the talents that we have and serve in some way. Okay? So let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. <clears throat> let's pick up in verse 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would this hearing be? If the whole uh, were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. So this is the third time we get the sense or we get the statement that God has placed people in the church He's placed them in the body according to his will, okay, for, for a reason, okay? Look at verse 20, or excuse me, verse 19. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body, okay? So he continues this analogy, uh, this discussion uh, of the body. Skip down to verse 27. Okay, can I have somebody read verses 27 through 31? Do all 
Okay, thank you. Okay, so there it is. There's the helps. There's the administrations, right? Okay. Uh, what is he saying in this portion of, of chapter 12? Yeah, God has placed us in the body. He's given us different talents according to his will. And all of us need to be serving somewhere, but realize that, yeah, he's given some to have different abilities and different talents. Okay, and so if I'm not someone who's able to teach a Bible class or to be a teacher, that's okay. Because what he asked the rhetorical question, all are not teachers, are they? Or Devana's translation said a little bit differently. Are all teachers, right? Okay. So uh, again, we need to find that fine line because I think, in my experience in the church, a lot of people use this as an excuse. I just can't teach, and, and I understand there are some limits. So when Kimberly and I were were first married, and I was serving in Mesquite as an associate minister. Uh, I was responsible for education, and one time there was someone that didn't show up to teach the, the two-year-olds. And so Kimberly joined me. It was the, the, or maybe it was the fours and fives class. Uh, so I go in there, and I break open my Genesis, and I start talking about Isaac, or Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and how they're connected and all this. And Kimberly stops me about five minutes in. She says, these guys are just learning how to read, if that, you know. Uh, what you're saying is way above them, okay? And uh, I think at one point, they were coloring pictures or whatever, and one kid, one kid, uh, uh, no, I think it really helped somebody, and it looked really good, the coloring page. And I said, make sure you tell your mom that you did this all by yourself. And I'm just joking, like I would in an adult class. And she was like, Ron, you just taught that child to lie to their parents, <laughs> you know? And so uh, some of us, you know, yes. Okay, some of us can teach kids classes. Some of maybe that's more of a challenge for us. Some of us can teach kids classes, but maybe adults is more difficult for us and teenagers and, and everything else. Okay, I think in the church, though, sometimes we use that as an excuse to not teach. Okay. Most men, I think, should be able to handle teaching a fifth and sixth grade class. The content level is low enough that if you're a Christian, a mature Christian, you know the content that a fifth grader or sixth grader ought to know. How many of us ought to be able to teach the, a, a children's class or teach children the books of the Bible? How many of us ought to be able to teach kids the simplicity of Jesus was born, he had 12 apostles, and tell some of the basic stories that we read about in the Gospels. How many of us could go through 1 Kings and 2 Kings and 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel and tell some of the basic stories about Samuel and Saul and David and, and David and Goliath, for instance? Okay, If you're a new Christian, maybe those things are, are new to you. I understand that. But if you're a mature Christian, haven't you read those things? Aren't there some basic lessons in there? Okay, and so what I'm saying is, is not everyone's cut out to be a heavy-duty teacher. And I didn't do this before this lesson, but there are different words for teacher used in the New Testament. And there are some, some words 
And I refer to someone that is a big time teacher. Okay, this is someone that everybody looks up to. Uh, that uh, I, I think it's James who says, "Let not uh, many of you become teachers." Okay, because there's a higher standard. He uses the big word for teacher. He's not talking about being able to tell someone, "This is why I believe in Jesus." He's talking about the person that everyone looks up to as being a great teacher. And he says, let, let not many of you become that kind of teacher. Because if you set yourself up like that kind of teacher, you have a huge responsibility. Because you're going to answer for what you teach. That's different from being able to tell a little kid, can I tell you the story of David and Goliath? And so we all have talents and, and, and abilities. And, and it's true that sometimes what we ought to do in the church is bring someone with us that's new and say, can you just be my helper? I, I just need you to sit in the class and help control the kids. And as that person watches you teach, they're going to pick up on some of that. And there's going to reach a point where you say, hey, I'm going to be gone next week, or why don't you take next week's lesson? And you help train them and groom them, and they're able to do that. And sometimes as we do that, we also figure out this person is not someone that's ready to teach kids or is able to teach kids or able to teach, you know, and, and so it helps us do that, okay? Um, any other questions or comments at this point? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. That's an excellent example. Thank you. Yeah, and so, yeah, not all of us are going to go to college and become a professor of education in education theory. But, yeah, we ought to be able to sit down with our kids and read a book, tell our kids stories, uh, teach our kids some, some basic things, how to count, how to tie their shoe, how to say the ABCs. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Right, and so, and that's where our mentoring comes in. That's where help having someone come and help us uh, gives people that confidence and, and that ability. Okay, good. All right, let's keep reading the text here of, of chapter thirteen. Chapter thirteen is the great passage of love. Okay, and sometimes we hear this read at weddings, uh, but really the context is Paul saying, "Okay, church at Corinth, get over yourselves." Okay, some of you have the ability to speak tongues. Some of you don't. Some of you have the ability to prophesy. Some of you don't. Some of you have the ability to help people, heal people, uh, some of you don't. That's not what it's about. It's about loving each other as a church. Okay, so listen to what he says, 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. I mean, to me, that says a whole lot. The faith to move mountains. Uh, you have that much faith, um, you would think you would have it all together. But Paul says, if you have that ability, but you, you don't have love, it's, it doesn't do you any good. He says, if I give my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, uh, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, 
does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there, all, if there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, that partial will, that the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have, have also been fully known. But now faith, hope, love, uh, abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. Okay, so Paul's saying, look, church at Corinth, you have to love each other. Church at Bimbrook, you have to love each other. Don't just seek your own desires. Don't be jealous because someone has a talent other than yours. Uh, don't provoke one another. Um, don't brag about the talents you have. Don't act unbecomingly because someone has a different talent than you do. Just love. And let your love and your faith and your hope abide. Sooner or later, there's not going to be a need for prophecy. There's not going to be a need for speaking in tongues. The idea of knowledge is epigenosis, which means a special, divinely given knowledge. It says there's going to come a time when that knowledge isn't going to need to be there anymore. Uh, and so he says, let these things, don't let this destroy the church. Recognize people have different talents and abilities. All of you serve. Okay? Uh, there's more in chapter 14 that we could talk about. Uh, I believe the context continues. Um, let's just read the first four verses of chapter 14. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands, but in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for the edification and exhortation and, and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies uh, the church. As we look down in here in this context, um, look at verse 12. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. The idea of edification has become skewed uh, because in the 80s that was kind of the catchphrase, church edification. What does that mean? Edifi edifi edifying means to build something up. It was a construction term. It means to build. And so what Paul's saying here is the gifts that you have, use those. Everything needs to be used to build the church and that's what we often forget and sometimes we forget it because we become complacent we don't use our talents at all and sometimes uh, we don't build the church uh, because we're too busy noticing what other people are doing and, and, and becoming jealous of that being becoming upset about that or whatever and we don't build the church okay, Paul says use your talents to build the church now in this idea of church of responsibilities that we have as individual Christians. Let's turn over quickly to Romans chapter 12. And we want to finish up today with looking at Romans chapter 12. I think we're probably running close to the end of class time, so let me just read this quickly, please. Romans 12, verse 1. 
Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them according, accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service, in his serving. Or he who teaches, in his teaching. Or he who exhorts, in his exhortation. He who gives, with liberality. He who leads, with diligence. He who shows mercy, with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, preserving in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. If we pause there for just a second, what kind of a church is Paul describing here? Okay, a loving church. How did they demonstrate their love, Linda? Absolutely. Uh, okay, so that's the end of class. Okay, Linda summed it up well. Okay. Yeah, he wants us to be working. He wants us to be working together. He wants us to love. I love that phrase, let love be without hypocrisy. Okay, so sometimes we hear that phrase, you have to fake it till you make it. Okay, sometimes you have those mornings, you just wake up and it's not a good day. And sometimes you just have to fake it till you make it. And, and in that context, man, that phrase is good. Okay, and I understand that phrase, I get that phrase. Sometimes, though, we have those folks that are always faking it, right? It's like a facade. And Paul says it shouldn't be a facade. You should love each other. And let that love be without hypocrisy. And so he says, avoid the evil, abhor the evil, but cling to that which is good. Okay? Uh, not lagging behind, verse 11. Um, or be devoted to one another, verse 10, in brotherly love, and give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, forever in spirit, serving the Lord. We need to be serving diligently. But as we do that, we serve with one another in brotherly love. And we're not lagging behind. All of us are diligent. But how many congregations are suffering because their people are not diligent how does he say it again are not diligent uh, not lagging behind in diligence wow I mean to me that's a powerful phrase not lagging behind in diligence every one of you do not be lagging behind in diligence 
what is that? What does that say? You know, I was reminded of Ashley this week because we were watching the news broadcast about uh, the state representative. I'm not sure where he's from, but he, this guy's running for state representative, and he's going to run seven marathons in seven days. Did you see that, Ashley? Did you see that news story? And I thought to myself, he needs to see Ashley. You're right. Because that's not an easy task, right? And he'd never run a marathon before. Yeah, that was his training. Yeah, and I thought, you are in trouble, buddy. Okay. But, you know, you have those folks that you see in the marathon, and they're just kind of lagging behind. Okay. Maybe it's someone whose goal in life is just to finish a marathon. So they go to some place where they're doing a marathon, just kind of almost just finishing. I get that. Okay. But Paul says we should not be lagging behind in diligence, trying to serve. And he says all of us needs to be serving. If your talent is being a generous person, he says, do that with liberality. He says, if your talent is teaching, you need, to, you need to be busy teaching. If your talent is leadership, you need to be leading with diligence. And he goes through all these things. And he says, we are all different parts of the same body, and everyone needs to be serving. When someone asks us the question, what is the responsibility that I have when I become a Christian, that responsibility is God expects you to serve. He expects you to get involved. He expects you to work. Not to do everything, but to find some place where you can serve and do your best at it and love each other as you serve. Thank you guys for your attention, and we'll start worship here in a few minutes.